You are now listening to the Unshakable Health Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. All right. Oh my gosh, guys. We're already well into February, one week in today. What an amazing day just to be alive. Uh, Every breath, every morning, every sunrise, every sunset. What a gift. You know, I'm here in Hawaii and I'm, I'm, I'm warming up a little bit. I've had the amazing opportunity to be here this week with my uh, two middle kids. You know, have you ever heard of the, the middle kid syndrome where you kind of, you don't get the best, you don't get the worst, you're kind of just in the middle and in that messy middle of, <laughs> of the six kids. And they, you know, they don't always get all the attention that their older siblings get. And, and so this has been a special week for them. For their birthdays, they kind of teamed up and they said, hey, dad, hey, mom, we don't even want any kind of birthday present this year. We, we, you don't have to give us anything, nothing. But one thing that'd be really cool is if dad could take us to the pipeline contest, the pipe classic over there on Oahu at the world famous bonsai pipeline. And so that's what I've had the opportunity to do with them this week. And it has been amazing. Not only is that just the most magical, marvelous, just magnificent, gnarly wave on the planet, but to share it with your kids and to just be there and be in that moment with them. Ah, unforgettable. So Thank you, Mateo and Elijah, for, for uh, asking to do this. So much fun for your dad as well. And thank you, each and every one of you, for being here, for being part of the show, being part of the movement, the unshakable health movement where we learn to thrive and not simply just survive life. Just so pumped that even here in Hawaii, Nei, I can drop you a little message on how you can optimize your health and do so naturally, do so with energy and just love. And so I just, I just can't wait to share a quick episode with you this week of just some things that have been on my mind and on my heart. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to get into it in just a second. Before I do that, I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of the show. Thank you if you've ever dropped a review over there on Amazon or on Apple. I read all of those, every single one. And actually, if you haven't done so yet, just do it. Just do it. So simple. Scroll down to the bottom over there on Apple where you see the five stars. Click on the one farthest to the right and then right below that. To the left, there's a little box with a pencil coming out the top right corner. Just click on that, write a review. And I promise you, I will read it. Heck, I may even share it right here on the show. You'll get real live <laughs> airtime just for dropping that review because you guys are awesome. You're so amazing. And you're just why I love to do this. And if you do so, either there Apple or over there on Amazon, I will enter you in to win a copy of my book, Preventable, best-selling book, Preventable, Five Powerful Practices to Avoid Disease and Build Unshakable Health. So make sure you do that. Make sure you tell me what you're loving, what you're learning. Tag me over there on Instagram, Dr. Thomas Hemingway. I just would love to hear it. You guys are the reason that I just get up early in the morning, even in the dark, to share this stuff with you before my kids are up because I just love life. I love helping people get healthy, live their best life, breaking that trend that we've seen recently since 2015, our human life expectancy here in the U.S. has been going down. But heck, I promise you, we will reverse that. We will come back. We are bouncing back. And this is with those tools that I share with you each and every week. So are you ready for another one? We're going to get into it. Let's get into this episode of Unshakable Health. Here we go. So as promised, I'm going to talk about today one of the most common health issues that we struggle with, yet I've never really covered it in this way on my podcast. This is the issue of jet lag and sleep and sleep issues. Right now in the U.S., the overwhelming majority of us struggle with some kind of a sleep problem, whether it be getting to sleep, staying asleep, some version of insomnia or daytime sleepiness or 
just we struggle to have a regular sleep wake cycle the whole notion of circadian rhythm we as humans have evolved to be diurnal which means that primarily we're awake active doing our work doing our stuff our jam during the day and at night when it's dark outside we should be sleeping that's the classic human biology that's what we have been programmed for however many of us including myself often have to work a shift that may go into the evening or that may go the entire evening so many of us out there are shift workers or many of us just like to travel and we cross time zones and all of these things, whether it be shift work, crossing time zones can disrupt our normal circadian rhythm. So I'm so pumped to share with you my experience, both personally, because I've been through lots of these scenarios, whether it be traveling across multiple time zones or working shift work where I work at night or all hours of the day and night. And I've learned a few things that I think can really help you because sleep is something that is so powerful. It's so simple, yet super powerful. And the crazy thing about sleep is when I was in medical school 20 plus years ago, we didn't even know yet why you really needed to sleep. We didn't understand the true importance. We knew that if you didn't sleep, it was bad for you and you had adverse health scenarios and even died sooner when you don't sleep well. It's actually been <laughs> declared a potential carcinogen. In fact, you know, if you have problems with sleep deprivation, you work lots of shift work like I do, and you don't remedy that, you may potentially die sooner. But it doesn't have to be that way. There's lots of tools, tips, tricks, strategies that I'll share with you today that are actually quite simple, yet very powerful. So, so pumped to be here with you, Dr. Thomas Hemingway. We're going to talk all about sleep. We're going to talk all about jet lag because I sadly get to experience jet lag kind of often. In fact, right now recording this podcast, I'm doing something to help minimize my jet lag because I just traveled westward uh, three or four time zones to get back home to Hawaii today. And I have a bright ring light hitting me in the face to keep my body awake, active, keep stimulating those so-called intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells, which actually weren't even discovered when I was in medical school. They were discovered after I finished medical school. And we began to truly understand what happens to set our circadian rhythm because it's it's been now appreciated that we don't just have rods and cones, but we have this third class of cells in our eyes called the intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. You don't have to remember, remember all that, but it's really crucial for our natural rhythm, our natural clock, our circadian clock, which is so critical to not only sleeping well at night, but to performing ideally during the day. And so just kind of a quick Example, I just traveled uh, four hours westward, so I'm now, or four time zones, I should say, across four time zones westward, so now I'm going to be taxed with trying to stay up a little later um, into the evening, right, because if any of you have ever been to Hawaii, it's... Uh, <laughs> It, when it's you know late in the evening in Hawaii, it may be morning on the East Coast, for example, or almost morning over there on the East Coast because it's typically about six hours different than East Coast time, which is kind of the standard here in the U.S., right? We sort of measure 
most of our timing on East Coast time, right? That's what time the stock markets are open, et cetera, et cetera. I know this well, both from having lived in the East Coast, working in the East Coast, my son, who's super interested in finance, he likes to run his day uh, congruent with the stock exchange because that's something he's interested in. So when we're in Hawaii, it's really, really hard for him because of that significant time difference. But when you travel westward, the good news is I travel westward a lot. Uh, coming back home to Hawaii, and it's actually easier to adjust when you travel to the West. All you have to do is just stay up a little later. And right now, I'm using a natural means, well, well, sort of natural means. I, I have all the windows, the, the blinds are open, I'm having natural light hitting me. I also have a big giant ring light right in front of me. You can probably see the glare off my, my face here, but that's actually helping me to stay awake. I could be caffeinating myself to stay awake, which I prefer not to really do if I don't really have to, because <laughs> especially into the later afternoon, I try not to consume any caffeine past about 2 p.m. because that may make it more challenging for me to sleep. In fact, <laughs> I did a little experiment recently and I tried a caffeinated beverage um, because I needed to make a long drive and I didn't want to fall asleep driving, but the drive was going to be taking me into the evening until about 11 o'clock at night. And typically I'm in bed by 11 o'clock, hopefully already sleeping. I try to be in bed by around 10. I love to be able to be drifting off to sleep and be sleeping um, at 11. But this particular day I had to drive late into the evening. So I did take <laughs> one of these uh, uh, energy supplements, if you will. Um, it, it didn't happen to be my preferred one that I really like. That's a natural energy supplement that I can just mix with water. I didn't, I didn't have that with me. I, I had to purchase something at a gas station. I know it's, it's uh, <laughs> deplorable, right? I, I purchased one of these things at a gas station, but I needed to stay awake and I didn't want to be, you know, having a car accident because I fell asleep on the road. And thankfully I didn't fall asleep. Drive was no problem. But when I got to my destination, I struggled to fall asleep. Well, duh, I had a bunch of caffeine, <laughs> you know, into the evening. I think I, I had the, the caffeinated beverage around six or seven o'clock at night. And so when I was trying to actually get to sleep, which was when I arrived at my destination around 11, 1130, I wanted to be in bed by midnight. I had trouble falling asleep. So that's one of the challenges. If you use caffeine to try to keep you awake when you travel westward, like I just did, it may be a little bit of a struggle to get to sleep. So I try to use light. And like I mentioned, I got all the windows open, the sun shining through. I got a big ring, ring light ahead of me because right now, although it's fairly early in my day here, it's about 5 p.m. On the East Coast right now, it would be 11 p.m. <laughs> so I, I try to use the most natural thing available and light is the biggest, most powerful and simplest Thing that we can use to set our circadian clock. So if we just kind of back up a little bit, uh, as I mentioned at the outset, we have these special cells in our retina, that's the back of the eye, that actually are very sensitive to light. They have this funky protein in there called melanopsin. And when the melanopsin gets uh, the light hitting it, it actually does a structural, kind of like a transformer-like shift, a shapeshifter change, which activates a cascade to say, hey, there's light coming in. We need to make sure to stop the release of melatonin because melatonin is supposed to help us get off to sleep. And if there's light coming in, we don't want to be asleep because we 
have evolved to be awake during the day, right? That's when we do our hunting, our gathering, get our work done, what have you. And so when that light's coming in, we're trying to stop the, the release of melatonin. So we're awake, we're sharp, vigilant, ready to go. However, those cells can be triggered by things other than natural light. Natural light's probably the most profound and powerful thing that can affect these. But like I am, I'm standing in front of this big giant ring light and I got the windows open and that's providing a certain amount of lux, which is sort of a measure of light, but it's probably nowhere near what I could be getting just by being outside in the sunlight, right? Because the sun is thousands and thousands of lux, even in the morning hours. In fact, most people don't appreciate this, but just getting out into the morning light in those first couple hours of the day, we'll get into this in just a second, can be one of the most powerful things, not just to treat and help you to get rid of or crush or, or, or conquer jet lag, but also just to get you into a good rhythm into your daily life so that you sleep really well every single night. Getting into the morning light in the morning, hopefully sometime in the first several hours, typically this generally needs to be done before 9 or before 10 a.m., depending on how early you wake up every morning, but you want to get out into the natural light for a couple of minutes. I Try to get 10 to 15 minutes of natural light. It doesn't have to be that long, but at least a couple of minutes of natural light each and every morning. This usually happens for me with a brief walk outside. I like to get the fresh air. I like to be out in nature. Depending on where I am in the world, um, I may have to have a bunch of clothing on if I'm up in the mountains or if I'm here in Hawaii like I am now, I just go out in a t-shirt, might wear a hat if because it often is raining in the morning. <laughs> But just being exposed to some natural light early in the morning is really, really helpful. Even if it's cloudy, if you live in Seattle or if you live um, Portland, one of these places that's beautiful and lush and green, but you don't see a lot of sunlight, especially this time of year in the winter, it's okay. Still, just by being outdoors, you can get a significant amount of exposure to light, even on a cloudy day. In fact, typically, even on a cloudy day, you can get up to about 10,000, seven to 10,000 lux of light um, hitting you even on a cloudy day. And to reproduce that in your own home, it's gonna take a lot of lighting. In fact, you can buy these special lamps to help, you know, bright light therapy, if you will, right? It's been used in seasonal depression. It's been used also for help setting your clock. These things typically don't provide more than about a thousand lux and they're really, really bright. <laughs> And sunlight, even though you may not see it on a cloudy day, can provide between seven and 10,000 lux. And ideally, you want to get exposed to about 100,000 lux before 9 a.m. And this can be easily accomplished. It may be 10, depending on where you are in the world. But between 9 and 10 a.m., you want to be exposed to about 100,000 lux. And it's just so much quicker, faster, easier to do this with 10, 15 minutes of natural light exposure in the outdoors, wherever you may happen to live. And it just feels good. It feels good to get some fresh air. It feels good to maybe move your body, go for a little walk for 10 minutes or so every morning, get that natural light. Don't wear sunglasses this first thing in the morning. This is a no sunglass time. You want to actually get that uh, light exposure hitting those cells of the retina, the intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells, which then communicate with the part of the brain called the hypothalamus, or more specifically, the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus, which helps set that circadian rhythm. So the first thing that you do in the morning, one of the first things getting out into natural light 
can be the most powerful to help you sleep good each and every night. Even if you're not having issues with jet lag, this is a great practice to get into. Simple, free, <laughs> and it just feels good. It's great to get outside. Maybe you'll even catch the sunrise if you get up early enough. Just a beautiful time to be outdoors. And this can be one of the most powerful things to help set your circadian clock. So this is an everyday thing, which I recommend. But if you're specifically traveling, it's a great thing to get into that time zone as quickly as possible. So for example, if I'm traveling westward, like I just did to Hawaii, the following day, I want to get outside in the morning. I want to get some get some light exposure. Um, what I don't want to do, <laughs> what I don't want to do is get is get that going on way too early. So what's interesting? There's this thing. It's called your minimum body temperature, right? The, the every day, all of us have a lower temperature during the evening. And our nadir, nadir is kind of like the bottom of the valley, the lowest point of our temperature in a 24-hour cycle, typically occurs about two hours before we wake up in the morning, roughly. So I get up around 6, so mine is probably at 4 a.m. It's pretty common time, sometimes 5 a.m. for those that get up at 7, or if you get up at 8, it's probably closer to 6 a.m. It's roughly about two hours before you get up in the morning, you have your lowest temperature point of your body in that 24 hour cycle. This is your temperature minimum. And this is something that's pretty interesting. Like I got one of these smartwatches here and it doesn't actually measure my temperature. Maybe some of these newer iterations, this is an older one, do that. But if any of you out there are super tech savvy and you wanna make a bunch of money and it hasn't been done yet, I haven't even checked, but make a watch that can measure your temperature because this is actually a very good way to simply help you set your circadian rhythm and to follow it, especially while traveling. Because I'm going to just say this right now, because it's pretty simple, it's pretty straightforward, but often forgotten. I've heard a lot of podcasts, I've heard a lot of people that talk about, you know, sleep and jet lag. And it's actually kind of rare that they mention this temperature phenomenon, which is really, really important. So as I just stated, the temperature minimum that we have as humans typically is about two hours before you get up in the morning, because we have this spike in this hormone called cortisol a couple hours before. And what that helps do is kind of gets us going. It actually helps then take our temperature from that low, that 24 hour low to increase it. And as the temperature increases, that's going to help wake us up. And then about two hours later, boom, wake up time, get going for the day, ba-bam, right? So this temperature minimum usually happens around 4 a.m., like for folks like me to get up at 6. It might be around 5 a.m. for you or what have you, about two hours before you wake up. For my teenagers that don't like to get up until 8 or 9, for them, this temperature nadir or this minimum point is probably around 6 or 7 a.m., about two hours before they get up. And so this is a key thing to figure out for you because once you know this time for you, and, and usually you can just estimate it, take the average time you get up every morning, subtract two hours from that. So if your average time to get up every morning is 6 a.m. like it is for me, this temperature nadir, the, the bottom point, the lowest point of your temperature over that 24-hour cycle is going to be about two hours earlier, 4 a.m. Or if you get up at 8 every single day, and this is going to happen around 6 a.m. Knowing this time is really important because if you get, if you're trying to accommodate for changes in the time zones, like you traveled westward like I did, and I had to cross four time zones on this particular trip, I'm going to 
want to keep this in mind. So when I left, <laughs> I was getting up at 6 a.m., right? But now that I traveled four hours into the, the West time zones, that 6 a.m. for me is now going to be getting up the equivalent of getting up at 2 a.m., which means my temperature nadir, which is the lowest minimum temperature over my 24-hour cycle, used to be at 4 a.m. Now that's going to be at midnight. So it's really interesting as I, I got to remember where I came from to, to make this calculation. It's, it's really easy. It's not complicated. It's just two hours before your normal wake-up time, whether, wherever you came from, wherever your starting point is. And so when you figure that out, you use that as kind of the reference point. Because what you want to do is if you're traveling to the West, right, you're going to want to prolong your waking time, right? As I arrived here, it was, I think our flight landed um, like four in the afternoon or something like that. It doesn't matter that where I came from was already 8 p.m. I want to be up, active and out. That's why I got these bright lights shining on me, because now I want to sort of stay up longer right? I want to stay up longer to get in sync with my local time zone. So it's really important to do that. And if you want to kind of do a little preparation, if you will, before travel, like that's fantastic. Most of us, including me who travel a lot, I just, I don't really take the time to do this very often. I mean, occasionally if I have to make a really big trip and I know I got to be on my game and speak somewhere say, you know, six time zones away, I'm going to try to take one or two days and, and try to get onto that earlier schedule a couple days in advance. But the, the honest to goodness truth is most of us forget, we're busy, it seems complicated, we don't do it, and that's okay. But if you would like to, the best way is to start slowly. I mean, and, and I don't mean, you know, do it exactly at the time that you're, you know, going to, but try to you know, if you're going eastward, you're going to have to get up a little earlier, right? If you're going to go westward, you're going to have to stay awake or stay up a little later. So that's kind of the basic, the basic thing. And there's, there's three powerful, powerful stimuli that can change this. The most important and most powerful is light, simple light exposure, most powerful hands down. So we're going to talk more about the light exposure, how to optimize that. The second is eating, Right? We did a whole podcast on circadian rhythm a couple of years ago, and the two strongest factors that play into our circadian rhythm are the light and when we're eating. <laughs> so if we can optimize when the light's hitting us and when we're eating, we can really, really get an amazing night's sleep. That's why I often say, hey, at night, try to have, just like you have a nighttime curfew for your kids, you got to have a food curfew. You really shouldn't be eating late into the night. Once it's kind of dark, you should kind of be curtailing your eating because you want to stop eating at least three hours before you go to bed anyway. In the winter, you can maybe eat a little bit into that darkness hours because it may get dark for you at 5 p.m. like it did for me when I was in the mountains of Utah. It was dark at like 5 p.m. So I still was trying to have dinner at the same time every night. Usually it's about six. And then you know, at least three hours later, I'm I'm typically up till nine or 10. I'm not eating for those three hours before bedtime. So have a food curfew, not just a curfew for other things or for your kids or whatever. Food curfew is actually really important because that stimulus eating is actually a very strong 
strong stimulus for circadian rhythm. So light, eating. The third thing is actually exercise. So if you get into a good exercise routine during the day, that not only will help you combat and kind of prevent getting bad jet lag, but also can help treat it. So when you get into your new destination, if you're struggling, make sure you're doing exercise during the day, whatever is day for that new time zone. If you're also getting exposure to light during the day of whatever that normal time zone is, and you're also eating at the normal time. So although you may be coming from a place that was six hours different, you're like, oh crap, now it's dinner time for me, but, <laughs> but now it's the middle of the night, wherever I came from, don't eat in the middle of the night. You might initially be tempted to because your body might be craving that because that's what you came from. But as soon as you can get into the local swing and be eating on local meal times, be up during the day at local times when the sun's out and then sleeping at night, it's going to be quicker to be able to help you to adjust. Um, so here's the thing. What, what I wanted to share with you, um, besides these three powerful tools, I made a couple of notes because I wanted to make sure not to, not to forget. People often ask me, well, what about the people that are, you know, the night owl type people? Do they still have to get up at a certain time? Or what about the larks that get up real early? Like, how does all that play? And well, there's a little bit of, I would say, flexibility with respect to your circadian rhythm, there are definitely different chronotypes. Um, like I just mentioned, right? The night owl likes to be up real late or the, the larks that get up real early. There's, there's a little bit of a difference there, but most of us need around seven or eight hours of sleep. I think those uh, out there that say they can survive off of four to six, like I used to say, we're just kind of kidding ourselves. I mean, just don't really think that the data is proving that most of us do need around seven or eight hours of sleep. And when I decided to finally make sleep a priority in my life, and I started to get seven to eight hours of sleep every single night consistently, just ask my wife, I became a much more pleasant, a much happier human. Like I thought that I was doing great off four to six hours a night, which I did for decades of my medical training, of my early a decade or more in medicine, I just slept four to six hours a night because I wanted to have time for my family. I wanted to have time for surfing and doing the things I enjoyed. And so sleep was always the thing that got sacrificed. And now that I'm making that a priority, it has made a world of difference, not only in how I feel, but how others can easily perceive that I'm doing. I'm just happier. I smile more. I'm just in a better mood. I'm not grouchy, grumpy like I used to be when I just, I honestly was chronically sleep deprived. So when you're going to be heading out on a trip, there is a little bit of um, planning in advance that you could do if you wanted to. Like I mentioned, if you're going to go out west, you can kind of a couple of nights before. Most of us aren't going to take the time to do it for a whole week or what have you, which would make it even easier. But I would say if you can do for two days, try to get into that time zone that you're heading off to. Like if I'm traveling out to Hawaii, I should stay up a little bit later in the time zone that I'm coming from if I'm going to Hawaii in a westward direction. Like anywhere in the continental US, you go to Hawaii, you got to go west, right? So you just want to stay up a little later, a couple of nights before to kind of get more into that swing. Westward is not that big of an issue. Most of us can tolerate westward time zone transitioning a lot easier than we can tolerate going the opposite direction. We go out to the east. This has just been proven. It's just harder on our bodies. Why? Because all of a sudden we got to be getting up much earlier, right? And there's actually even studies which look at the folks that are chronically traveling to the east versus those that are chronically traveling to the west. And if you had to pick, 
better to be chronically traveling to the West. Actually, they do better, have less health conditions. They don't die as young as the guys that always got to travel to the East. It's a little bit more challenging. And I kind of screwed up here because if right now I'm currently flying the other way, I'm going East to work, which is not optimal, but I'm using the strategies that I'm teaching you about. And it's really helped me. And the, the biggest powerful simplest is just light exposure. Get out into the light at the appropriate times during the day. And you can even kind of start to do that a little earlier if you want to get ready for your trip. Like for me, going out eastward, for example, next week, I'll be working in Florida and I'm going to be six hours different in my time zones than I am today. And so what I'm going to do, I always get up early. I'm going to start getting up a little earlier. And even if there's no sunlight, I'm going to get this ring light and be kind of going. And I'm going to start doing my work a little bit earlier in the day so I can kind of transition to an earlier um, awakening, if you will. And this is actually pretty helpful if you want to make that transition a little smoother. So if you want to make that easier for you going eastward, you want to get exposed to light in the morning hours and then kind of avoid it in the evening hours. So you might want to wear some, some glasses at night or even blue blockers or just try to avoid the screens at night, right? Um, westward, like I said, is much easier for folks because all you got to do is kind of stay up a little bit later and you can do so by being exposed to light um, later in the day and you actually need to kind of avoid the morning light, right? Like when I, ideally I should have avoided being up early the couple of days that that preceded my trip out westward to Hawaii and tried to, if I had to be out, have some dark sunglasses on those couple of days before so that that morning trigger wasn't so prominent for me and I could set my clock a little bit more towards the, the incoming time of Hawaii, which is obviously the day, um, you know, it's light later into the day um, at that same time. And so I don't really worry about westward travel because it's just much easier for me. I just have to stay up a little later and I just do so with, with having light help me with that. But I also transition my, my meals to the local time zone. That's really helpful. Um, the thing that I was mentioning earlier that's so helpful with respect to this, uh, this minimum temperature that typically happens two hours before we get up every morning. For me, it's about 4 a.m. If you get up at 7, it'd be about 5 a.m., this is really important because if you are exposed to bright light in the early morning, what it'll do is it'll shift your clock forward, right? It'll advance it, right? And if you are exposed to bright light um, later, then it's gonna it's gonna go the opposite. So so here's the thing. Most of us, I, I'm just gonna be honest, I don't tend to do a lot of prep before my travel because I I can tolerate it pretty well if I just focus on getting the natural light when I get to my destination and just syncing up with the local time zone as quickly as I can by being outdoors when the when the sun is out, it's daytime, and then eating my meals during the daytime and adjusting to that. And if I can do another bonus thing, which I've mentioned before, folks that have uh, checked out previous podcasts or even my Instagram reels, I talk about grounding a fair amount. Grounding just means slipping your shoes off, being barefoot and being outside. So if I'm ever in a destination that's near the ocean, I love to just go for a barefoot walk on the beach when I first get to my destination, because that grounding practice helps me get into that new time zone a little bit more readily. And it's been proven as well. Um, 
But if you if you wanted to get into those time zones a little bit earlier, you could start having your light exposure earlier in the morning, even before the sun comes up, if you got to travel out east, like I'm going to have to do next week, I'm going to actually do this with my ring light here and try to get onto that time zone a little earlier by waking up earlier, doing my work earlier in the morning, having bright lights hit me just to kind of ease that uh, transition as well. Um, so that can be helpful. Exercise, as I mentioned, can actually be very helpful too, if you do it during the day in the new time zone. So <laughs> whatever you can do to get into that new time zone the quickest by having light exposure during the daytime, eating your meals during the daytime at the normal times for that time exposure, and uh, doing exercise during the regular day. Don't do your exercise late at night because you might be in New York and it's midnight, but if you were in Hawaii, it's only 6 p.m., don't do your normal exercise that you might do at 6 p.m. in Hawaii at midnight in New York, because guess what? You're going to be up later into the night. It's, it's normal, right? If you exercise, you're doing stuff, especially if you do hard, like HIIT training, high-intensity uh, training, interval training, you're going to be more awake, which sometimes serves you if you have to be awake. But if you're trying to get into the local time zone, you want to get off to sleep, don't be doing your exercise late into the night. Try to do it during the normal daylight hours. A couple other things like just, just while traveling that I think can be super helpful is that um, try to stay you know hydrated on the plane. There's a difference between what they call travel fatigue and actual jet lag. So travel fatigue is just related to being in the traveling process for a long time. And due to the fact that you're probably not hydrating well, you're probably in an uncomfortable chair, you're not breathing the most high quality you know, oxygen and everything else, because typically the cabin pressure doesn't have the same amount of oxygen that you would have at sea level. It's kind of like you're on a high mountain during the whole flight. I think they pressurize them usually to about 10,000 feet or so. And so you're getting a little bit less oxygen. You're usually not staying as well hydrated. You might be a little uncomfortable. So you're not getting the ideal scenario during that travel. And if it's a long trip, say you got to fly across the world, it's a 20 hour flight or something. It's naturally going to make you tired to have done that travel, travel fatigue. But let's just, let's say you were up in Canada and you went all the way down to one of the places I want to travel to, which is Jeffrey's Bay in South Africa. And you don't traverse any time zones. You're actually in the same time zone somewhere up in Canada, might be corresponding to the tip uh, of South Africa, uh, the Cape of Good Hope. And around the corner from that, um, you have Jeffrey's Bay and, and Durban and some other cool surf spots. But if you don't traverse any time zones, we're not dealing with jet lag at all because you're going to get up and go to bed at the same time. But you may have tremendous travel fatigue because you may be in the air or traveling for 20 plus hours. So although that really sucks, the good news is <laughs> this whole bit about the jet lag is not really going to affect you. It's just that travel fatigue. Jet lag, you have to cross time zones to get jet lag. It's just it's just what it is. It's your clock is not aligning to your natural circadian rhythm from wherever you left from. So traveling across time zones is a prerequisite to get jet lag. You can get travel fatigue just from length of travel. Like if you do north to south, south to north, you can get significant travel fatigue. But thankfully, you won't get this issue of jet lag. Um, I hope that makes sense. So the things that keep on your radar, <laughs> which might annoy some people is that like on your flight, you should be hydrating yourself. But 
maybe not overhydrating if you're like on the window seat, right? Because you're not going to be getting up and bothering the two people to your left to get over there to get to the restroom often. I always get an aisle seat so I can hydrate as much as I want and I don't have to climb over anybody to get to the restroom. I try to stay hydrated during the flight. I also try to avoid caffeine during the flight or alcohol. Alcohol may help you get a little sleepy and take a little nap, but it's actually going to disrupt the quality of your sleep. Also, be thinking about the time zone that you're going into. So, for example, if I'm taking a night flight, which commonly is the flight that I have to take, leaving Hawaii, going back to mainland USA, there almost always are night flights or red eyes. And so I try to not be watching the TV because I should be sleeping <laughs> during those flights. Because when I get to that destination, which typically gets me there 4, 5, 6 a.m., I got to be up and ready to go because I need to get into that local time zone as quickly as possible. And if I don't get any rest on the flight, I'm going to be exhausted when I get there. And if I take a nap, I, I may feel like I want to take a nap. I may want to take a nap, but that's actually going to delay and make it more challenging for me to get into that new time zone, especially if you nap longer than about 30 minutes or so. So a quick little power nap, if you absolutely have to, is okay. But try to avoid those naps that go into one, two, three, four hours. If you're sleeping during the day in the new time zone, although you may feel exhausted, you may want to, that's actually not going to be good for getting into that new time zone and avoiding that incumbent, inherent, likely jet lag. So avoid the temptation to take a nap unless it's a brief power nap when you get into that um, new time zone. I'm going to give you an example. My wife and I just about a year ago traveled to Portugal and it was a crazy kind of long travel. And we got there, I think like 10 a.m. or something. We were exhausted. We just couldn't get comfortable on the flight. I just don't sleep well on planes. And we really, really, really wanted to just get to the hotel room and take a nap. But fortunately, that hotel room wasn't ready yet. And so that forced us to kind of get out and about. And we just went for a walk. Um, it was a cool place anyway. We got to tour this town. We went and ate. So we did all the things that were right. We didn't take the nap. We went straight into, you know, being outdoors, walking. So we did our exercise during the daytime. We ate during the daytime. And we just forced ourselves to stay awake until the sun went down. And then we just went to bed when it got dark. And it was crazy. I, I forget how many time zones we crossed. It must have been like 12. Maybe it was even more than that. But I think it was about 12. And it was going to the east, which is the most challenging. Knock on wood, I hope this happens every single time. But we literally had no jet lag. Like we did amazing because we got into that local time zone as quickly as we could by staying hydrated, by doing physical activity, exercise during the day, eating during the day in the normal hours of the new time zone, and forcing ourselves to just stay up, even though we really, really, really wanted to go to sleep because we were exhausted. But we didn't. And that night we slept amazing. And every night thereafter, we were only there for, I don't know, five to seven days. It was a short trip. But I don't remember having any jet lag at all, which was crazy given the fact that we crossed, I think, at least 12 time zones. So it can be simple. The three most powerful things, remember, are light exposure, our eating, right? These are the two most powerful is eating and light sets our circadian rhythm. And the third is exercise. So try to do those things at the appropriate time in your due desk, in your new destination. And that can be a game changer. There's a couple other things like if you need something to help you when you get there, natural 
help you get a little sleep. A small dose of melatonin is okay. I use that on occasion. I try not to use it every single night. Use the smallest effective dose. So just buy maybe a one milligram tablet, or if you can even get the half a milligram, the 0.5, try that. And if that's effective, great. 0.5 up to about two milligrams. I would consider those kind of small-ish doses. I would try to just take two milligrams or less because you don't want to overdo it. And that should help you if you need it for a couple of nights to get into that new time zone. Try to avoid coffee late in the day. Try to avoid alcohol because that's going to disrupt your sleep as well. Don't take a nap because even though you're going to feel exhausted, you're going to want to. Maybe if you really have to, you got to make a timer on your phone here and you got to just do a short 30-minute power nap. Don't let yourself continue to sleep because that's going to mess you up. And if you're somebody like me that often does shift work, I treat it in the same way that I treat jet lag. I try to um, use all of these things, hydration, light exposure, um, eating and exercise at the appropriate times to help me optimize my alertness during my shift and the ability to sleep after a shift. So if that, like next week, I got to work a night shift, all 12 hour night. So what I'm going to do, obviously during the night, I have the bright hospital lights on easy. I can stay awake, no problem. But when I step out of that hospital, I actually don't want to be exposed to the sunlight. So I actually wear dark glasses. And fortunately, I get off shift. Um, I think it's 6 a.m. and it's still kind of dark. I try to get to my hotel as quickly as I can. And I just go to sleep because then I got to do it again the next night. Because when you come off a night shift, you have to adapt your body to the time that you're working because you want to be alert during your shift. Like, duh, no matter what you're doing, it's whether it be working in a hospital, whether it be, um, you know, at a 24-hour joint of some kind, lots of jobs, firefighter, police, you know, all these kinds of things have shift workers. And you want to be alert when you're at work. You want to be effective. You want to be high functioning. And so you may have to do some things a little bit differently like I do when I get off that night shift. I put on dark glasses. I try not to get exposed to the bright light so I can get off to sleep. And then when I wake up in the afternoon, I try to get my light exposure. I get out into the natural light and I kind of work it in reverse. So I hope that makes sense. If you have any questions on this, feel free to reach out to me, Dr. Thomas Hemingway on Instagram. That's Dr. Thomas Hemingway. Or you can even email me at alohasurfdoc at gmail.com. There's a lot of nuance to it, but it actually is really, really simple. Use these three most powerful levers to help you. The light, number one, most important. The timing of your meals and then exercise. Use those in the appropriate times at the location that you travel to, and they will tremendously help you like it did with me recently to this trip to Portugal. I had zero jet lag. It was amazing. It was amazing because I forced myself to get into that local groove as quickly as possible. I also slipped off my shoes and did a little walking around barefoot. Thankfully, it wasn't winter, so it was easier to do. Do some grounding in addition, and it was magic. So thanks for listening. Feel free to like, share, comment, subscribe so you never miss an episode. And let me know if you have any questions. I, I would happily do my best to answer them. If you want to jump into my, my group that I have, I have an amazing community called the Thrive Community where you can actually be in a group chat with me all the time, drop questions, I answer them, we do live calls, this sort of thing. I'd love to have you there. So until next time, I hope this little session on sleep and jet lag and those three powerful levers of light, food timing, and exercise can be powerful and helpful for you as they have been for me. Aloha. Oh. 
That was so fun. Short and sweet, but so much fun. I love sharing what I'm loving, what I'm learning, what I'm doing in my life to thrive and not simply survive. I love to share it with you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of the show. If you want more of this, more of me, be able to ask me questions. You can do that over there in the Thrive community. And the link is over there on Instagram, right down below my bio. The Thrive Community with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. We have live Q&As every month. We have an ongoing uh, messaging thread where you can drop me questions. It's so much fun to get to know you and for you to be in a group of like-minded individuals that are pursuing your own version of your most powerful health because we want you to thrive and not simply survive. Make sure you let me know how you're liking, loving, and learning from this podcast. Drop me a review over there on Apple, over there on Amazon. Make sure you share this episode. Share it, like it, subscribe so you never miss out. And make sure you let me know. Let me know how you're liking, loving, learning. And I just so appreciate you. I just want to take this moment and say mahalo from Hawaii Ne, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of the show, for being a part of the movement, and for striving to thrive and not just simply survive life. Until next time, a big aloha from Hawaii Ne to you. My best. Thank you, thank you. Mahalo.